Hey, this is Mike Brake, and I'm the pastor at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. I want to say thank you for stopping by our podcast today. We really do believe that you're only one step away from the relationship with God that you've been wanting. So I hope the message today gives you encouragement, gives you some vision so that you can take that next step towards freedom. Enjoy the message. Next week, I am excited. I'm ecstatic. I'm blown away. Because when you come up here next week, the setup's going to look a little bit different as well. We have four people getting baptized next Sunday. And if you don't know what that means, it's just, it's for us, like I have a wedding ring. This doesn't make me married. It's a symbol that we had an event happen and my wife and I, we had an event that just, it's a symbol that says, I'm married, I'm taken. Well, baptism for, for when we look at scripture, we see it as a symbol to say, hey, I, I'm going public with my faith. That this is the way I'm going to say I'm following Jesus. I'm banking on Him. And next week we have at least four people sign up. But you may be saying, hey, I want to give my life to Christ. Or I've done it, but I've never made that public before. Well, guess what? We have a next steps table, next steps booth table, whatever you want to call it, right there where you can sign up and you can get baptized next week too. We just want to help you take your next steps with Jesus. And we've been taking them, each of us taking them individually. And when we all take them collectively together, it sparks a movement. And God's doing something amazing in our midst, right here in Los Alamos. And it's not just in this building because it's all, the stories I get are from when we all leave and we go be the church and live it out. And that's what we're about when we take our next steps. That's not even the sermon. That's just, I'm excited. I'm sorry. So uh, today we are finishing up a series called Red or Green. We've answered the top six most questions that you guys have been asking. It's been a fun series. Have you guys enjoyed this series? Anybody? have? Yeah, you guys have asked some tough questions. It hasn't been easy on me, but it's been fun. And I've enjoyed my time and going through it today. We're answering the number one most asked question, and this was by far the number one most asked questions was, how do I approach not being at peace with everything I read in the Bible? And the questions that came in were so specific, like, I'm not at peace with this event, or this here, or this here, or this here, and I just kind of had to categorize it into one, and then when we voted on it, it was like, this one just rose all the way to the top. So just by show of hands, who, who has something in the Bible that they're not at peace with? It's okay. You can be honest at, at church. Like, I, there's a lot for, for me, or, or maybe even for you, that you read and you're like, hey, I don't, there's some things that just seem impossible. We did talk about miracles in, in this sermon series, but like, th- there's, a, there's a talking donkey. In, 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 in the Bible somewhere. Like, really? I don't know. Like, that whole thing with Noah's Ark. Like, that's just the animals getting on there two by two. Like, I, I, that's just so beyond me. Like, I don't understand. And then maybe you, like, went to, a, to college and a professor started kind of sharing some things and maybe pointing out some contradictions and it caused you to question. And you're like, I'm not at peace with some of these things. And maybe you grew up in a household where they were just kind of like, hey, the Bible says it and that settles it. And then you were like, it just doesn't quite settle it for me. I'm not settled with that, and I'm not at peace with some of these things. Maybe there's some things that, are, that aren't in the Bible, 
or that you may not see in the Bible as much, and you're like, I don't know, like dinosaurs. Like, how does, how does all this line up? I don't know. And like, if God's good, then why did he create cats? I, that's, sorry, that's one for me. Um, like, what are these things that, that maybe you're not at peace with? We talked about last week. Maybe some things are outdated or seemingly outdated in, in our times. We talked about last week women and their role in the church. Maybe you look at marriage. And you're like, well, it says some things in there, but that was like thousands of years ago. And this is today. And I, I mean, I'm just not settled with some of these things that are in the Bible. Here's one for you. 1 Samuel chapter 18. David, you know David from David and Goliath. He worked for King Saul and he wanted to marry the king's daughter. Okay, awesome. But in that time, in that culture, if you wanted to marry somebody, you had to pay a price to the dad of the bride to, like a gift to say, hey, I, I, want, I, I owe you a, a gift or a price. Well, Saul, who's the dad, who's the king, sells David his employee. He says, okay, yeah, all right, here we go. D tell David that all I want for the bride price is a hundred Philistine foreskins. You thought you had a bad day at work this week. <laughs> oh, okay. Now, the Bible says David was delighted to accept the offer. Delighted. I have some... Um, hey, hey, girl. <laughs> it's, it's not you. <laughs> it, it's, it's, no, it's not even me. It's your dad. That, that dude is... He's, uh, I like you and all, but um, no thank you. You know, the Bible says he was delighted. I mean, we've, we know the phrase, like, love is blind. Like, that's got to be some really blind love and, on that one. Sorry, when I read the Bible, I'm sorry. I, I just, I, I see some things. I got to laugh at it. And at the same time, like, it's there. It's there. How do I approach not being at peace with the Bible? I don't know what it is for you because it could be a lot of different things. But it leaves us confused can leave us asking questions, can, can leave us doubting. And for a lot of us, maybe something personal happens to us during that time. Or maybe we witness something that we, we would just say is evil and terrible. And we wonder, is this whole thing like a house of cards? Is it even true? And maybe we even walked away from Christianity with some of these things. What I want to do today, I want to give you permission to ask questions. I want to give you permission to not be at peace with things in the Bible, and I want to give you permission to, to doubt. You might not have had, been a part of a church where a pastor told you it's okay to have doubts. Doubts, questions, they don't make you less of a Christian. They make you human. And personally, I believe the journey of faith starts with doubt. All the greats in the Bible that you read about came up against something that caused them to question their faith. They had to wrestle with this thing called faith. And I believe if you would lean into your doubts, don't ignore them, don't walk away from them, if you would lean in on the other side of your doubts, discovery. So I'm going to say, if you have doubts, great. Don't leave it there. Lean into it. Ask the questions 
and, and move forward in that. When my faith is shaken, check the foundation. You need a little slogan for today. When my faith is shaken, check the foundation. When I'm not at peace with things in the Bible, how do I approach not being at peace with things in the Bible? This may not, you may leave today saying, well, I'm still not at peace with it, and I think that's okay. I want to say, let's check the foundation. I'm going to, I want to give you three foundational things from Christianity that you can take with you to say, when I'm, when I'm struggling, I'm going to check the foundation. And the first one is this, God exists. The first foundation that I go to is God exists, or at least you hoped He does. Let me explain that. Let me explain that. I have up here, I went to Smith's last night and bought a thing of, of chocolate cupcakes. Now these are, are buttercream frosting chocolate cupcakes with a nice little Oreo um, on top. Now last week I threw food out into the audience. I'm not throwing food uh, uh, this time. But you can see here... Um, I know they're only Smiths, but even at Smiths, sorry if you work at Smiths, but they, they, like someone took some time and some energy to, to put the cake together, to put the ingredients, to put the wrapper in there, put the icing on just right, and you also have the cookies on top. A cupcake. Now, you and I, we may not be cake or cupcake experts, but we have a general idea of how that might go. You get your, your pan and got your eggs. Let's just go ahead and put those in there. We got our cake mix, right? Put that in there. Uh, sugar, we all like some sugar. Okay. Extra sugar is good. All right, uh, sprinkles. Anyone like sprinkles on their cupcakes? Yeah, yeah, okay. Let's put those in there. I need some icing. There we go. That's looking good. Okay. And last but not least, we need some wrappers for our cupcakes. Now, how long do you think we need to wait before what's inside there produces one of these? 30 minutes? How about a year? And a year from now, if we came back, if I just left this here for a year and we came back, what, would we see something like this? Not even close. How about in a thousand years, a million years, a billion years, would we see anything that closely resembles this? How about now? <laughs> Nothing changed, huh? No? Okay. Yeah, and you're saying, no, Mike, you would need to mix it just right. You need to heat it just at the right temperature to even get remotely close to anything like that. And that's my point exactly. 
I, haven't, I really haven't mentioned that. All I'm talking about so far is just a single uh, a cupcake. I haven't even mentioned anything else, and you already get the picture, Mike. You'd say, Mike, if I were to say this randomly appeared and just banked on this randomly appearing, you'd be like, Mike, you're a moron. <laughs> and all I'm talking about is a cupcake from Smith's. I'm not even using a Bible verse here, okay? I'm just talking to... We know, just from logic, that you can't get something created without a creator. This doesn't get you to Christianity, by the way. Far from it. I'm just stating the case for there's a creator. That even atheistic scientists would say the universe had a beginning. They we would agree with that, too. It would just be like, was there a purposeful beginning behind it? And we would just look at a simple Smith's cupcake and say, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure. But you can go beyond just creator creation and talk about morals. Because if we, either God exists or he doesn't, okay? That's, that's his bottom line. Either he exists or he does not. But if there is a, if, this, if we live in a godless world, there's some implications, some pretty heavily implications of a godless world that we may not like to necessarily hold on to or grasp. And one of those is, if we live in a godless world, there is no you. All you are is just biology. You are cells that get activated for, for a few years, and then you just stop at being activated. And that's it. What you know is you is just cells. A good-looking group of cells, by the way. But just cells, that's it. If we live in a godless world, you have to grasp and, and hold on to the idea there is no such thing as value. Value is arbitrary. It's artificial. It's made up. I mean, again, you're just biology. So is everybody else. Value is just artificial. And then, what I struggle with the most, if we live in a godless world, there's no such thing as justice. Like who, what, who or what does t determines injustice in our world? And, 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 and really in that world, it's, I have my justice, you have your justice. There's Republican justice, Democrat justice, majority rules justice, power justice, uh, rich person justice, KKK justice, ISIS justice. Like it's unlimited on what it is and really there is no... And, Ultimately, there's not a whole lot of hope in a godless world. And here's what I know, regardless of your beliefs. Nobody lives like that. You live like you exist. You live like you have value. You live like your kids have value. You live like your spouse has value. You live like the people. When you see things wrong in humanity, injustice, we can disagree on what injustice might be, but when you see it, you cry foul. And whether you know it or not, when you, when you cry foul on something, you're actually crying out for a God to say someone or something has got to make this right. God exists or at least you hope so, because he's our only hope. Still haven't gotten to Christianity, by the way. But I go with that foundation, number one. 
Second thing, second foundation is this. The genesis of our faith, the genesis of Christianity, is not the book of Genesis. Now before I dive into this, let me say, I believe the Bible. I do. But the genesis of Christianity was something happened. The genesis of Christianity began with an empty tomb. That's when this movement called the church got launched. That's when everything sparked on the morning that there was a resurrection. And that is the foundation of Christianity, not the book of Genesis. Do I believe it? Yes, I do believe it. But that it started. Now, Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians. He says, And if Christ had not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. He's saying it all anchors on a resurrection. So I'm going to anchor my faith, my foundation, on that one right there. Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were described as the ones that took him down off the cross and put him in the tomb. Put yourself in their shoes in the first century. They didn't know a resurrection was happening. They're like, dang, we just spent some years. We risked it all trying to like follow this guy. And now we are without hope. We're scratching our heads. Because the story's over. Like he even said on the cross, he said, it's finished. We're, we're done here. But hold on. That was not the end of the story. That was just the beginning. So foundation number two is your faith is anchored on a resurrection. Now, I want to I talk about the Bible because this is the third thing and this is where I wanna, we may not know the story of the Bible. And I'm going to give you like, try to give you like a 10-minute spiel on this or 10 to 15-minute spiel. I geek out on this stuff. We could talk for days, hours, weeks, years about this stuff. But I want to give you the third foundation is that your Bible is reliable. Your Bible is reliable. And I know we might, eh, I don't know, I don't know. But let's talk about... How did we even get the Bible? If I were to ask this room, just take a poll and say, hey, how did we get the Bible? And there's, there's 60, 70 of us in here. We'd probably get 60, 70 different answers. Like, I don't know. I don't know how we got it. And sometimes the myth is, the myth is that it was invented over time, developed over time, this idea of the re resurrection developed over time, hundreds of years, not really around the time of Jesus. Maybe it was a bunch of old white guys that got in this back room smoking some cigars and decided, hey, this is it. And then now we're forced to stick with it. Can I really trust the Bible? Maybe those guys, they're all biased. Like they wanted it to be true. They're, I mean, they had heavy bias towards that. And I would say, I'm a huge hockey fan. All right? I'm, a, I'm from Missouri. St. Louis Blues is my team. So I'm heavily biased towards the St. Louis Blues. Let me tell you something. The St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup in 2019. True or false? True. All right? I'm heavily biased. But bias backed up by evidence is still true. Right? You, you can take the fact that the Blues won the Stanley Cup to the bank. It happened. People witnessed it. 
And this is one of the things about the Bible, how we got it, is that it was, came from eyewitness accounts of Jesus, and those eyewitness accounts were being told, written, verified, and accepted immediately by other eyewitnesses at the time. Not what you may have thought was developed decades, centuries later. No, at the time. One of the best examples, I, I could go on a bunch. We could go through every book in the New Testament and talk about this, but I'm going to show you one. It's in 1 Corinthians. And I want to show you a timeline up here. So no one, even secular scholars, would disagree that 1 Corinthians was written by a guy named Paul who wrote a lot of New Testament, and was written around the time of 55 AD. Like everyone pretty much agrees on that one. And this is helpful. So the letter of 1 Corinthians was written around 55 AD. We know that Paul started that church in Corinth at around 52 AD. We also know that Paul took two separate trips to Jerusalem where the eyewitnesses were, met with them, one trip around 49 A.D. and one trip around 40 A.D. We also know that Paul and his conversion was around 37 A.D. Some, even secular scholars, non-Christian scholars, would even backdate that to 35 A.D., even closer. Jesus, his death and resurrection, roughly 33 A.D. And we know in between this time, Paul was killing persecuting Christians. So, the question is, you might be... If this was something that developed centuries later, how in the heck did Paul know about it so close to the time that it was happening? The answer is, it was happening immediately. And here's what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, I passed on to you what was most important... And what had been passed on to me? Well, who passed it on to you, Paul? Eyewitnesses passed it on to him. Okay, you want to, so sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, we found the gospel of Thomas, or we found the gospel of Judas, or the gospel of Mary, and like, you know, like it kind of hits the news or something like that. Maybe we're going to find out something new about Jesus. But anytime you see those things, those were written centuries later, in the, in like in the hundreds or two hundreds, like well after the eyewitnesses and their theology is different. Guess what? They're not in Scripture. Book of Mormon, written thousands of years later, different theology. It is not in Scripture. What's in Scripture was witnessed, told, witnessed, verified, and accepted by eyewitnesses of these accounts. So he's saying, I'm passing on what was passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. This is what was passed on. Just as the scriptures said. Whoa, scriptures. There's already scriptures being passed around. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. And just as the scriptures said, he was seen. He was buried. He was raised. He was seen. It's like this Christian credo that you see happening in this earth. This is what we want you to know. He was buried. He was raised. He was seen. Seen by who? He was seen by Peter. How do you know Peter saw him, Paul? Because I went to Jerusalem. I talked to Peter about it. I saw him face to face. We had some discussions about it. 
And then by the 12, how do you know the 12 saw him? I talked to them. They were eyewitnesses. And then after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. This was not some random hallucination. 500 people seeing the same thing at the same time. How do you know they saw him? They're all in Jerusalem. I was there. I talked to them. They're all sharing the same stories. And then by the 12, and after that, he was, or sorry, most of whom are still alive. Although some have died, and some of your translations said some have fallen asleep. Because after, when Christianity started describing death, I think the NLT translation here gets this a little bit wrong. Because the Greek word means fall asleep. Why would they use the word fall asleep? What do you do when you sleep? Afterwards, you wake up. These guys lost their fear of death. Why? Because they saw their Savior die, and then they had breakfast with him on a beach. He was alive. He talked about eternal life. We're just going sleep, not death. They saw something different, and they lost their fear of death. Then he was seen by James. James is Jesus' half-brother who didn't even believe in Jesus when he was alive. And then he became a leader in the church. Let me ask you this question. I, I ask this every time I come across James. What would it take for you to believe your brother is the savior of the world, that he's God, big G? <laughs> Evidently for James, because he didn't believe in him while he was alive, it took a death and a resurrection to say, that's my Lord and my savior. The first sentence of James says, I'm a slave to my brother, Jesus. It says most of these people are uh, still alive. Like, hey, Corinth, buy yourself a boat ticket, go to Jerusalem, talk to them. Have you ever wondered why? In the Bible, it names people that got healed. It doesn't name everyone. But sometimes it's like just this, this small little story and they have a name. Why would they name these people in these Gospels? One example is the guy who went, the group that went to arrest Jesus... When he got arrested the day before he got put up and hung up on a cross, it says that Peter, Jesus' best friend, took a sword and chopped one of the, the, the guard's ears off. Evidently, Peter's not a good aim. He's a fisherman, okay? He grabs the sword, swings, misses, chops the dude's ear off. John identifies this guard as Malchus. This is all we know about Malchus. He was a guard. Maybe he's the one that actually laid hands on Jesus, and Peter was like, not my friend, boom, you know. And misses. And the, and the other accounts say that Jesus took the ear. I, this is weird. He's just like, sticks it back on there, heals the man. Who cares about Malchus? He was coming to arrest Jesus, to kill Jesus. He was a servant of, of, of their, he wasn't even, why name this guy? I'm speculating. Go to Jerusalem and talk to Malchus. He's still alive. Dude, I like, I saw it. The other guy saw it. We all ran, but Malchus lived it. Talk to the eyewitness. Still alive. Why do they name the people in the gospel? I, th I think part of it is like, go talk to them. You know Martha. You know Mary. You know Lazarus. You know Blind Bart. Blind Bart, the guy that we told to shut up. He's still alive. We're still telling him to shut up. He won't stop talking about it. Like, go talk to the people. They're alive. They're there. Told. Written, verified, accepted by the eyewitnesses almost immediately. 
The Bible is you and I have it. Some of you guys, you're like, you're like me. I have it on my, on my iPad. Some of you guys, you like someone signed it and it was all like chaptered and verse. Listen, it, it wasn't like that. When Paul's writing this, he wasn't like, oh, I'm writing the Bible now. No, he, he's like, I'm writing a letter to this jacked up church in Corinth that needs a little bit of help. It wasn't until like the 300s when Constantine said, hey, you guys have freedom to, to put this thing together. And we're like, hey, we've been using the same text and the same documents for so long. Let's standardize this thing because we know what we need. The ones from the eyewitnesses. You might be saying, okay, well, what about the Old Testament? And I got to hustle through this. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians, he says, I don't, want to for, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. The, the, the people in the Old Testament. He says, these things happened as examples for us, and they were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. He was saying, hey, listen, listen, listen. That stuff is important, but it, it was more like a, an example for us. Imagine this. Christians in the first century... They hijacked the Jewish text. They said, this sacred text that you have, we don't want your rules. We don't want your religion, but we want your texts. How offensive is that? that we're just going to take this from you. Because we think our Messiah, Jesus, is in there. We want to look for him in there. And we think you missed him. So we'll just take this. Thank you. Jews say, oh, oh, no. And what did they start doing? What did Paul start doing? He was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. They started killing him. You can't take our stuff. You're, you, you're breaking all the rules. They said, we don't care. I think, I think Jesus is there. You know what they found in the Old Testament? They took the Old Testament because they found Jesus everywhere. On every page, they're like, oh my goodness. OMG, he's there. Everywhere. Have you ever read Isaiah 53? Written 500 years before the time of Jesus. And I would say Jews today would still struggle with this today. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so he, we could be made whole. Who's he? In the, old, in the old system, it was lambs. Animals were the sacrifice. Not he. Not people. Who is this he that you're talking about, Isaiah? He was whipped so we could be healed. He had done no wrong and had never deceived any. But he was buried like a criminal and he was put in a rich man's cave. Who is he? This makes no sense in our system. Sacrificial system here. It doesn't fit the rules. Who is he? He sounds a lot like Jesus. Listen, there's stuff in the Old Testament that I believe, but I'm not at peace with. But listen, those first century Christians, they weren't saying, oh, we need this for historical reference, or we need this for, for spiritual guidelines. No, they're like, Jesus is here. I believe it. There's some great spiritual principles in the Old Testament. They didn't find a new God. It's the same God. In the beginning, God. They're like, oh my gosh, he's been here the whole time. But you got to understand, why did they take it? Because they were looking for Jesus. The whole thing is talking about God's redemptive plan in history. Saying humanity screwed it up in this whole thing. I put on creator hat, now I put on founder hat. I founded this nation through this guy named 
Abraham, and through him in this nation Israel is going to come a Messiah. And you see God just sticking with that contract, the old contract, the old testament throughout the entire time. He never changed course. He said there's going to be conditions if you follow me. There's going to be consequences if you don't follow me. Okay? But I'm unconditionally sticking with Israel. And when the time was right, Jesus came. So what do I do? How do I approach not being at peace with everything I read in the Bible? When your foundation is shaken or when your faith is shaken, check your foundation. God exists, or at least you hope so. Something happened. Something, a resurrection happened. And it was documented and accepted by eyewitness accounts immediately. And that's what sits in your hands today. And I will give you a bonus foundation. Because Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians, after all those people saw Jesus, he said, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I saw him too. God's story intersected my story. And that's something that I can't deny either. The moments in my life, some of the most real, awesome moments in my life. I've never seen Jesus face to face. But some of the most real, undeniable moments in my life are like, there's a God I am not alone, and I cannot deny that he loves me and wants a relationship with me. I cannot deny what I've seen and I've heard in my own life. Paul was murdering Christians, and when he met Jesus, Jesus says, I love you. I forgive you. Let's move forward in this direction. And it changed history. And he's intersected in your life, too. Is it okay to have doubts? Yes. Is it okay to not have peace with everything in the Bible? Yes. Nicodemus, a Pharisee in John chapter 3, sought out Jesus in the middle of the night. Go talk to Nicodemus. He's still there. Go talk to Nicodemus. He took Jesus down from the cross and put him in the grave. Go talk to Nicodemus. Nicodemus would say, oh my gosh. I had some doubts and I leaned into them. And I went and I sought out Jesus one night. And I wanted to know about this whole born again thing. I asked him, he says, what does it mean to be born again? And I was such an idiot. <laughs> because I was like, do you got to like crawl up in your mom's womb to get born again? And Jesus was like, you're such an idiot. Are you kidding me? Like, no, it's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritual rebirth. And Nicodemus would say, oh, I'll never forget this. He said, for God. In the beginning, God, the same God, so loved the world. I thought he was mistaken. I thought he was going to say, Jews, the righteous, but he said the, the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, just believes, believes, believes in him will not die but have eternal 
life. Nicodemus would say, if the only account of Jesus you had was the book of John, then you have all you need to be at peace with God. Nicodemus would say, if you only heard my story in that one verse, you have everything you need to be at peace with God. These guys in the first century had no clue what, what was going on about the Bible. They just knew this thing about this Jesus. He was the Messiah, Savior, Resurrection. And that's all we need. We're banking on Him. They told their stories. They documented it. And it changed the world. And that's what we do today. How's God intersected your story? And how do we go and tell the world about it? It's okay. The question today is not how, can I approach, how do I approach the Bible and not have peace with everything. The question today is, do you have peace with the God of the Bible who sent his one and only son into this world to die for your sins and rose from the dead so you could have eternal life? That is the story of the Bible. And that's the story that's changed my life. Let's pray together. Thank you again for listening to the podcast at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. A few next steps that you can take coming out of this. One is head to our website and let us know just exactly how we can help you take your next step. Also, if we have had a positive impact in your life or in your family and you want to partner with us financially, you can go to our website and click give. That will get the message out so we can impact more people through this ministry. And finally, click the subscribe button. That way you know you get the latest content from the podcast as well as rate it, review it. That will help get the message out to others. Hope you have a, a wonderful week. Thanks again for listening.